Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back! I haven't, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. To the area to Oh, what a start! What they can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Yeah, top show on tap today. We're previewing the action. Chelsea in action against Brighton Villa. They're at Newcastle. Liverpool leaves with Jesse Marsh certainly in the hot seat right now. We'll take a deep dive into La Liga, Bundesliga, and also have a look at Major League Soccer's conference finals. I have got my good friends, Nigel Rio Coker, and welcome back, Michael Hood. Nigel, should we give Michael a round of applause and a welcome back here? The vacation is over. But he's a Man United fan. I'm definitely not clapping for that. Mike, Mike how are you doing? Forget Nigel, how are you doing? Ah, oh, man, you know, I, I was doing great before Nigel opened his mouth to say that, uh, but I'm just going to block that out. I'm, I'm grand. Good to be back. Making my debut on House of Champions. Yeah, making your debut. But first and foremost, where were you in Europe? You, you did a bit of traveling. Did you go to see any games? Did you see any yeah. uh, famous people while you were out there? Uh, I did go to see one match. I went to see Olympic Marseille versus Lance. Credit and cra- shout out to Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan Johnson, you have made me a League 1 fan, but that's where our friendship stops in League 1. I am now officially a Marseille fan. The Stade Ooh. Velodrome, one of the best stadium experiences I've ever had. So shout out to Marseille for Ian, putting on this You know show. he's out to pick a mini. An inconsistent <laughs> all over the place Marseille and a very inconsistent all over the place Man United. He knows how to pick them. I You're telling us a lot about your personality, Fan Mike. culture. That's where I go for. Fan culture. J- yeah. JJ knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to getting fans into French football. Great job. Great to see you back. And welcome to House of Champions. It's your show and it's our show. And it's for the fans out there as well. We want you all to share your comments. We've got some new subscribers after a fantastic couple of days that we had in Brooklyn, Nigel. Destination Brooklyn did not disappoint. We got a couple of shows in. We were winding up the fans. We were enjoying ourselves immensely while Kate Abdo and the Paramount Plus crew were just enjoying themselves on stage and um, it was a fun time Nigel you know when you look back on it it went by pretty quickly mate yeah it flew by it really was a great time and I think the best thing that I like about it Ian is the interaction with fans and obviously we got to get some fans on the show speaking to fans answering their questions questioning them on why they believe in certain things and how they see their club going because it's not about us it's about the fans and I've always been a big fan of saying that the football clubs and nothing without fans. Fans own the football clubs. Fans are the life and soul. It doesn't belong to not one individual player or not an owner. It's all about the fans. And that's what I enjoy the most. Well, a regular of House of Champions, Matt Osmond, said, boys, you were amazing in Brooklyn. Thank you, Matt, for the shout out right there. And thank you to all our new followers as well. A big thank you to the CBS Sports family, the social media family, the podcast family for making that happen in Brooklyn. Uh, We missed you, Mike. You would have had a fantastic time with us. We were obviously going through the group chat while we were there, so you didn't miss out. Um, It was electric when we were together. Having Jonathan Johnson over from Paris, having James Benj over from London, watching games together. I think my favorite moment, Nigel, was when Spurs' goal was disallowed and James, <laughs> James Benj's reaction was sensational. Oh, no, Ian, as well. We, we forgot one thing. Yep. And finally, the fans got to see the producer who does all this mm. magic behind it. Yes. Des, you finally got to see the face for radio. Very intelligent. <laughs> Just a shame he's an Atletico Madrid fan, but mm. he puts a lot of work behind this and he's a great producer. And you got to see his ugly mug on camera. I don't think it'll be the last time that he gets on camera at some point as we all push for, for him some to have people, a microphone. I hope it's the last time. 
Yep. Yeah, well, probably, probably he does, maybe more so. All right, let's get into it, boys. We've got a great preview this weekend. Uh, let's get stuck into the Premier League action before we discuss the rest of Europe after the break. But ahead of the break, we got a lot of great games to look forward to. We begin with Brighton against Chelsea. Uh, Potter going back to Brighton. Um, overall thoughts on this one, Mike? You're back. How's the Champions debut for you? You get the first word right here as I spill my drink all over my desk. Uh, go for it. What do you think about Potter and his return to Brighton? I think it's going to be massive. It's going to be the first real match where I, you probably will see the emotions of Graham Potter. Graham Potter, more of a stoic figure on the sidelines. Just big shout out to him. I know, Ian, you're you're a man more so than Nigel because I got to have a, a, a total pop at Nigel being back. You're a man fit for style. What do you think of Graham Potter's turtleneck, Champions League sort of garb that he puts on? I think it's first class. I don't expect much to change in this matchup against Brighton. Brighton have been in a, tor- a terrible torrid time under the new manager, Roberto de Zabri, the Italian. He can't figure it out. He's a, a manager with Sassuolo prior to this who could get his players to score goals. Berardi was one of his top goal scorers in the last couple seasons. Can't really figure it out with this Brighton team. Chelsea, they have the Champions League as momentum. And Graham Potter, I expect him and his team to come in full of confidence. Do you know what, Mike? I think it's going to be a very, very interesting clash because mm. like you said there, I think it's going to be very emotional. I think Graham Potter is going to be very emotional. I think the Brighton fans are going to be emotional having him back there. And when you look at the balance of both teams, they're still really in that kind of, as, as you guys would say, transition period because they're still trying to mm. work themselves out. Chelsea still, for me, don't look fully convincing. Their biggest problem with Graham Potter at the moment is in the attacking sense, he doesn't know what to do, I don't think, fully yet. He's still trying to work out what works best for Chelsea in the final third. We saw Christian Pulisic, your homeboy, get a start in the Champions League and got an assist for making an yes, obvious pass, which I yes. still don't oh, Obvious pass, it's an obvious mate. pass because there's no Outside one else in the blue shirt with three pass people. And Havertz does the rest, but he gets an assist. But it's okay. It's good, 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 good confidence booster for the World Cup. But mm-hmm. when you look at Brighton as well, Brighton have lost that fluidity. They've lost that real flow that they had under Graham Potter. And it's a conversation. Isn't that natural about- though, Nigel, when yeah. you actually have a, a new coach coming in, you lose the man who's getting you into these top four positions, challenging okay. at the top of you, the table, potentially that, right? going for Europe. But isn't it natural when a new coach comes in? It's going to take time. It does take time. But Ian, you say that and you've got to think about this. When he took over, their first game was what? Liverpool away. Yeah, and three, he three. didn't twinkle or do anything. And that was the Brighton still under Graham Potter. And they, they finished 3-3. Three, three. Then obviously his first game in charge, you can see the big change after that. So yeah. that's that's the problem that you're going to have. And that comes with, again, when you're in these situations, who do you hire? Do they fit the system or the program of what you've got going? And for me right now, when you look at high-flying Brighton, and yes, you get a new manager that comes in, when you're not free-flowing as you were before, confidence starts to go in the players. Yeah. Confidence starts and that belief in we can win games starts to slightly go and topple down lower and lower. Because that's what can happen when you try and change too much. And again, like I said, I said to when you were missing, Ian, that yep. it's going to be a very interesting encounter between these two teams because I feel that they're both still in transition. Chelsea struggling to score goals, Brighton struggling to score goals a bit and really get that fluidity that they had under Graham Potter. Yeah, Nigel, um, we got a question coming in here or a comment coming in from <laughs> one of our uh, favourites here. Ali A asking, Nigel, why are you always so negative with a smiley face right negative. there? But I'm listen, just there's, a realist. <laughs> I'm a realist, there's, there's some truth behind that comment right there. Listen, yeah, I, I, love yes. what, I love what you said. Let me just make this point here. I love what you said. It does take time, but this is a Premier League, as you mentioned, and you've obviously mm. played there, so you're not more so than anybody else. And Michael, obviously, we've both been professionals as well. We know that there is no time to waste there when isn't. it comes into big competition. You've got to get into it straight away. He hasn't won a game yet. He hasn't won a game in charge of Brighton. That's where I'm disappointed. I know you've got to give them time to try and get their ideas across. But when something's working, do you really need to change so much? Mike, what are your thoughts on that there? When Deserby comes into this football club, and there was criticism from a lot of talking heads out there, including us as well, about the appointment. I like the appointment. I think he will get it right. However, this is a guy who's notorious, been traveling around different clubs back and forth, and he's got to try and find a way to get settled at Brighton. I think the biggest disappointment is he's a manager who's known for getting the most out of goal scorers, getting goals on the board. This is a Brighton team that can't seem to find the back of the net. I've said this before about teams that struggle. He couldn't hit the the English channel if you're standing right at the beach in Brighton with his team right now. They are that poor in front of goal. 
a on big a reason comment. for that. I'm saying you got to be you talking about realist. I'm I'm the realist here, Nigel. You're the negative one. I'm that's a realist comment. But when I look at this Brighton team, a big shift I've seen structurally. They still have that back three. They're playing a three-five-two, and I think that's down to fit Adam Lallana. Lallana playing as a second forward up top, and mm. Trussard, who was one of the stars of that Liverpool match, a player, young Belgian senior national a player who is pipped to be one of the future stars of the Premier League if he stays or for bigger things once he leaves Brighton. He's back at left wing back. Why you do that as a manager, that is criminal. I think that has been a big reason. Players playing out of position, and he has Pascal uh, Gross playing as the attacking midfielder. I think that needs to be remedied. If you put Trossard as your number 10, good things will happen. He has that telepathic connection between he, Caicedo, and Alexis McAllister. Hey, before we get into predictions on here, I want to try something a little bit different here. I want a short comment from you guys. Um, You've got 20 seconds, Nigel. Uh, This is the question, because we haven't talked much about um, Chelsea at all here. And obviously, this is a big game for Potter because he's going back to Brighton. So it's a big game for him personally. But my question to you real quickly, you've got 20 seconds to answer this one. Nigel first and then Michael second. Christian Pulisic, has he played himself into the starting 11? No. Why? From all the time he's had an opportunity he's had, he hasn't been able to really show consistent form of why he should stay in that in that team. And the reality of it is, you got Pilisic, you got Raheem Sterling. Most people will take Raheem Sterling over Christian. Mm, mm, mm. I'm gonna go yes, Nigel. We were talking about this before. This is a team that he typically likes to play against. He typically does well against. And when you get an assist in the Champions League, I don't care if it's against. Pilsen, Karabag, or against the Austrian Giants in Salzburg, you have to play a player who was playing out of position at right wing back. He gets an assist. You got to play him. Give him a chance. Give the kid a chance. I think he starts. Ian, just add to that, an assist for making a pass to the only Chelsea shirt that was in the vicinity and Havertz was the one that done the world-class finish. But okay, we'll give him the assist. He yeah. split three pa- eight, three players outside of the book. He just gave one of these, just fanned it like that. Just give him a participation trophy. We'll, we'll send him uh, one in the post. Thanks, Mike. Uh, all right, all right, let's get into it. Predictions here. Chelsea away to Brighton. Scoreline, uh, Nigel. Chelsea scrapes it. I'll, well, Chelsea gets the win. 3-1, I'm going for. Scrapes it 3-1 away from home. Go ahead, Mike. Mm, I'm going 2-0 Chelsea. I think uh, defensive solidarity, a good good thing about this Chelsea team, they've gotten back to being solid defensively. I think that continues. Yeah, I'm with you on this one though, but I'm I'm worried about European competition as well, going back into the Prem. So I've got a feeling Brighton are going to be a bit more defensive-minded in this one. I think this one could be a draw. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw, um, but if anyone's going to win this game, it will be Chelsea. Let's move on to Newcastle Villa. Go ahead. I was going to say, sorry, and just quick one. Caicedo can throw himself in that shop window. We can see that mm-hmm. the Kante situation's changing. Caicedo's throwing himself in that window to, for the Chelsea move. Just putting it out there, people. And that's mm-hmm. positive, right? That's not being negative. <laughs> so Aston Villa with a new boss in charge, uh, Nigel, uh, head to Newcastle on Saturday. There's not an easy game in the Premier League, but this is certainly not an easy start for Unai Emery at all. How do you see this one playing out? Villa, obviously, a terrific performance last time out against Brentford, and that is not an easy team to beat. And to score four goals in the fashion that he did do, what can you foresee happening at Newcastle, who are in great form right now in the top four Newcastle? Difficult place to go play. Difficult place to go play. And then the players there that they've acquired are really starting to put that belief in that ground and in that stadium. And you know what it's like when you go to Newcastle. Once the fans are backing you and the fans are behind mm-hmm. you, it makes it even more tougher. And I think when you look at the momentum right now in, in results and just playing style, we saw obviously a different Aston Villa against Brentford. But for me, Newcastle been doing it more consistently. And you can see the confidence going and going and going. And even Almiron now is finally starting to show why they took him to the Premier League because he's been having a fantastic season so far, full of confidence. We already know how much of a pest he can be. But I look at this Newcastle team and I think for me, it's the midfield that makes the difference. I think Joe Linton is an absolute handful and he will be causing all sorts of problems. And as great as Aston Villa were the past week against Brentford, you know Unai Emery style, we all know it, very defensively minded, going to be very restrictive. I don't know if that's going to benefit Aston Villa. I think with Aston Villa and the players that you have, you have to go for it. You have to be expansive. You have to use the width. That's how they're successful. And you have to be direct. I think it will take time with Unai Emery. I think it's going to take time for him to get his system and his style in place. 
But for me, you'd have to say it's 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 Newcastle are looking the favourite, and they're looking as a like a very good team from back to front. Mm, mm, I love what you said. This is probably one of the few times we'll agree on something, Nigel. Because, uh, well, just because that's how we are. That's our banter. That's what we bring to the show. I love this Newcastle team, and I know you're going to crush me as a United fan, but I have to be honest about they are a team from front to back. They are committed to working, getting behind the ball, and hitting you on the counter. I agree with you that the strength of this team is in the press. You talk about Joe Linton, the last couple games, he didn't even start. That's a guy who has been coming off the bench that was an out-and-out starter last season. The guy that I love, yeah, the guy that I love, apart from Bruno Guimaraes, this guy is a baller. Expect him to push for Brazil for the starting 11 if he keeps up this sort of form. Your Englishman, Callum Wilson. Where's the shot for him to get into the the, the list for Qatar? I think he's making a strong case, not just scoring goals, but his hold to play, his back pressing. In the last couple of games, he's, he's scored pivotal goals or set up teammates. I think it's that sort of energy, that sort of team ethos that makes Newcastle such a difficult team. And you, you can't see them not continuing to push for that top four case. But I, 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 I just struggle to bet against Unai Emery to get a result in this game. I know the chips are stacked against them. And maybe it's because I was around Jonathan Johnson and he brainwashed me with Villa stuff when I saw him in Paris a, lot, a couple of weeks ago. But Unai Emery, I think the best thing about him is you saw what he, did, what he can do with Villarreal with a bunch of players who may not be the world-class names of the world, but if they are committed, rather than being expansive, they're committed to maybe a 4-4-2, two banks of four, defend for your lives. Maybe Danny Ings or Ali Watkins can hit you in the channels or can get something from a frustrated Newcastle team. But that's a lot of wistful thinking because Newcastle are on a roll right now. Boys, I've got to get to a couple of the comments coming in here on House of Champions here. Matt Osman said that uh, Unai Emery deserves more respect. He's won more titles than most coaches that are currently in the Premier League. Um, Ali A says Unai was linked to the Newcastle job, which he was before, and now he's up against him um, as Aston Villa boss. So a couple of great comments coming in, and, and not too far mistaken. I guess the question would be, why would Unai Emery turn down that Newcastle job to stay where he was, and now why on earth would he accept the Aston Villa job, which seems Seems to me like is a massive task. I mean, Nigel, I mean, this is a big job. You just watched the team put out a top performance. You have an interim boss stepping in for a, a quick second that the players clearly enjoyed playing for. They played with a lot of freedom in that game. Now Unai Emery comes in and he's going to implement his ideas and his tactics to try and make it difficult for Newcastle. But this is a, this is a big ask, I think, for Unai Emery to get a lot of success. I mean, what is a realistic goal for him at Villa? A realistic goal and achievement they want is European football. I think let's let's let the fans know that Aston Villa is one of the few English clubs to have won the European Cup. So they are one of the historic teams in that and they want to get back to that level of success. Unai Emery, I think, took this challenge because I, I think it came to the point where Aston Villa were very desperate. I think the Steven Gerrard appointment was a mistake and they wanted to rectify that by getting a proven winning manager, as one of the comments actually did prove. He has won more stuff than most of these managers in the Premier League. You have to show him that respect and give him that time. And I think it's quite interesting, that question, though, of why you would turn down that Newcastle project and take the Villa one. So I, I think that Villa probably gave him an offer that he just couldn't refuse. And I think there's a greater detail behind the offer that we won't know. We'll see at a later date. But I feel that they're going to really uh, believe in him and back him transfer-wise as well. Yeah, I think maybe I'm being a bit disrespectful by actually saying, you know, why would he take the Aston Villa job? Because that's a massive club. And Aston Villa is a massive club. And I think that's what, because yeah. they don't have the marketing like some people. We can have a bit of fun right now, Ian. Mm. I saw so many Arsenal shirts at the Brooklyn event. Yeah. They're not even in the Champions League. And then they lost to the PSV <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> How many Villa shirts? How many Villa Arsenal shirts? never won the Champions League. <laughs> the only Villa shirt we saw is JJ repping his team. <laughs> uh, hey, Michael, before we move on here and yeah. uh, get to a, a little quick question and plus predictions, I want to ask you about Almiron. on six goals this season. He's leading mm. the way for Newcastle. And Nigel mentioned it right there. He is really performing well. What has he done differently? Obviously, he's taken a minute to get used to Newcastle. It's, a, it's a, yeah. an unusual place to go play, but he fits very well in this team. His style, his fashion, we obviously know his success in Major League Soccer, but now he's turning it on in the Prem. Uh, when he was at Atlanta United Major League Soccer, it was predictable in terms of you knew that there was going to be an end product behind every attack he had his first year in the Premier League and his first time in the Premier League he was trying to do too much he was caught in two minds 
It was a lot of sparks without any fire at the end of movements. This year, there's definitive action. He's either shooting, getting to the end line, crossing it. I think the fact that Eddie Howe has put him on the right side midfield as a right winger, giving him the freedom to float inside, using his favored left foot, it makes it more yep. predictable. It makes his teammates more predictable in terms of what to expect from him. And now it's just the end product has gotten better. So if he continues that, oof, the price tag keeps going up. All right, let me just get into it here. Ali A says Almiron has a chip on his shoulder after grillish comments from last season. It's a great point right there and very important to make because players do get pissed off absolutely when there's a bit of chat amongst the other players, a bit of banter. Maybe he's just uh, learning the Geordie language as well. Uh, this is the short coming your way, Nigel. Yes, no, and why? <laughs> Real quickly, Newcastle, can they finish in the top four? What you got? Yes. Why? Because of the team that they've built, Eddie Howe being a good coach and manager, and I think that result against Tottenham is a big statement win. And from what I see, if they stay injury-free, I think they can, yes. Mm, mm, mm. I say yes, and it pains me to say so. Number one, the fact that they don't have European football to worry about. You look at the number of players who are probably not going to be going to the World Cup, and even if they do, may not be key contributors to their national teams. That that just bodes very well for them when they come out of the international break or the World, World Cup break. Uh, they will be fresh, they will be fit, and they will be menacing even more. Newcastle against Villa at the weekend on Saturday. Nigel, quick prediction. I'd have to say Newcastle win just because of the form and the belief. So I'm going to go Newcastle 1-0. Uh, I like that. I'm going to follow that up with a 2-1 Newcastle win. I, I think the offensive output from Aston Villa, new manager, uh, a lot of feel good from the last result, but it won't be enough. Newcastle, they have their DNA, they have momentum as well, and they have belief. All right, let's turn our attention to the later kickoff on Saturday. Liverpool against Leeds. We're going to reverse it around this time. I'm going to start with the short question. So I want a yes, no, and a why, Nigel. The question to you is, do Leeds United stick with Jesse Marsh or do they fire him? <laughs> it's a results business, Ian. I like Jesse Marsh. Nine games, no wins. Seven losses, two draws. Results business. You look at what Stevie Gerrard happened to Stevie Gerrard. I think that they have to move on. Because again, the Leeds owners, they're more into the financial side of staying in the Premier League than anything else. So it's just a reality. Uh, it's, I, I know Jesse very well, former teammate of mine, and uh, he was our captain my first year as a pro. But I have to agree with you, Nigel. Jeez, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm like reading a depressed manifesto right now as I talk about Jesse and the potential firing. But it's just how I feel about him. I love the guy as a human being. think he's a good coach and Really respect what he's done. But when your team has scored two goals in this rut of form, and in both games where you score a goal, you took the early lead, and then you blow it in the end, and it becomes disaster central. I think it's potentially his last scene. And Ian, you were talking about the fixtures list. It yep. is not looking pretty for new for leads. Listen, I like Jesse Marsh as well, and I think he's a very passionate leader, no doubt about it. Um, is he the right man for Leeds United is the question. Um, could he get fired soon is the question. And, you know, listen, he absolutely could. And as you mentioned right there, Mike, uh, the next five fixtures coming up, he does have a cup game in the middle of this one, but he's got Liverpool, obviously, away from home, Bournemouth at home, Spurs away, City at home, and Newcastle away ahead of that World Cup break. This is not looking good when it comes to result business, as Nigel mentioned. So I think it's he's absolutely up against it. Uh, Darwin Nunes scoring goals again and Liverpool getting a victory. And un unfortunately for you, Nigel, you got your prediction wrong for that Liverpool against Ajax game. But they were very good against Ajax Amsterdam. Darwin Nunes probably should have scored two or three in that game. But they're looking like they're slowly getting back to consistency. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Let's let, play another three or four games and let's see about this Liverpool side. <laughs> Listen, I, I've already got it out there and I put it out there. Liverpool going to be inconsistent for the rest of the season. And for me, it's not going to be one of those debates that, oh, what's going so wrong at Liverpool? They're tired. The players are tired. They can't play at that high level they've been playing for three or four years. Maybe you can criticise Jurgen Klopp in not doing enough changes and bringing enough new faces to freshen it up. But he's happy with the group of people he's working with. Like, Jurgen Klopp isn't an idiot. And just to add quickly, before we move on to all the stuff that we've just discussed roughly, what people have to understand is, and I listen, I have to understand is, football's changed and evolved. The days of seeing a manager like Alex Ferguson stay at a club for how many years plus, get that out of your mind. Football clubs are moving to the same way as players are moving in and out in four or five-year periods or three or four-year periods. 
that's what's going to happen to managers. Very few managers are going to be given that long stay at a club unless that club is run in an old school fashion where they put success on the pitch first before commercial success and, and turning over to that corporate world. Mike, quickly. Yeah, I I think you're you're onto something in that in the the inconsistency. But what I do like about Jurgen Klopp, he's trying things. He's trying different formations. In the Champions League match, they played a four four two diamond, and Bobby Firmino is the attacking midfielder. One of the first times we see Mohamed Salah, Bobby Firmino, and Darwin Nunez on the field at the same time. And yes, it's Rangers who are struggling in the Champions League. But it's still yielding results. They're trying something, and that still gives me a bit of belief about this Liverpool team. Let's take a look at some of the other notable fixtures coming up this weekend. And there are some crackers to look forward to. Leicester against Manchester City. Obviously, City trying to maintain themselves at the top of the table and push Arsenal, who are at home to Nottingham Forest. We also have Manchester United against West Ham to look forward to. So there are some tasty fixtures to look forward to this weekend. Um, But I guess Manchester United against West Ham is one that you've got your attention on, Nigel. Um, Before we get into it, real quickly, I want your opinion on what you think the prediction will be for the result in this one. Not an easy place to go play West Ham obviously getting themselves into a, a bit of a rhythm now but Manchester United also starting to really string some wins together I know Mike will probably respond right after you go ahead yeah it, it really is going to be a good fixture but again I think for me West Ham are very similar to Liverpool like they look good for one or two games they feel like they're starting to get it right and then there'll be that result that sets them back a bit You'd have to say, I must be, I must say, I've been very impressed with Eric and Eric and Tag of what he's doing at Manchester United. And that performance at Chelsea for me is really an eye-opener because that's mm-hmm. the best they've looked. They really look like they're coming together. They finally look like there's a great team dynamic and understanding, as well as West Ham are doing. I would have to say on this game, you I'd have to back Manchester United. I think Manchester United are really starting to come good. But again, Ian and Mike, mm-hmm. like I've said to you before. It just depends whether the board really understand football to see what they're seeing on the pitch and believe in this manager enough to back him financially to get the players that he needs in where he can actually make Manchester United really competitive again. I'm, gosh, I'm so conflicted about this match because it's West Ham and they always play Manchester United tight. And I'm just relieved that it's not in London, because you know that's going to go down to the wire and the hammers, and you know this better than anyone, nights from personal experience, that that's one that they circle on the calendar. I still no, worry about Ronaldo facts. Don't big up Man United like that. No, Come we on, don't. Man. We don't circle playing Come Man United. Come on, man. Get out of there. Gosh, man. We're, I mean, we're going to have to go through your diaries, your Premier League diaries, about all the hype that you hyped up about Manchester United playing at Old Trafford. And, I mean, one, you get to even say that, which is incredible enough. It, very few people in this world get to even say they played at Old Trafford or against Manchester United, but I digress. What worries me is there's still the Ronaldo factor. How this guy is still part of the conversation. Yes, he's a superstar, but that still worries me that that is going to rear its ugly head at some point. And it already Ooh. has flashpoints, but this saga is not done yet. And yes, he gets the goal, but that's still too much of the media attention for a team that I think has moved past him. I think they're a better team without Cristiano Ronaldo on the field. And the Europa League is his playground. Play him there. If I see him on the starting 11 because he scored a goal, then I have a lot of concern. And I actually think that favors West Ham United in a matchup like this. If he doesn't play in, Marcus Rashford should rightfully so because he came off the bench start this match, then I think United continue business as usual. But Mike, wow. just quick one. Why would you be bothered about the Ronaldo thing when you saw the performance against Chelsea and he didn't play no part in it? I think that shows you enough that they know it. I think they only gave him a game because, yes, it's the... He wasn't in, he wasn't in the squad. He wasn't right? even in the squad. That's what I'm saying. And then Man United deserved to win that game. And Graham Potter I- himself knows that Chelsea were lucky. So I think... There's enough confidence there, Mike, that they don't need Ronaldo. And I think there's enough knowledge there. And the manager's already shown he's a no-nonsense manager. I, I just, as I said before, if I see him in that 11, because there has been matches when the manager has disciplined him or not played him and then played him in a big match the next match because he had an assist or was menacing. I just hope that that isn't a move to appease him in some faster or another. I'm not saying that he's going to do it because I agree with you that he, he is showing that this is his team each match that they play. But I just wonder if he's back in the 11 just to appease him a bit more. 
You never know what's happening behind the scenes because it is a mega, mega superstar. Good if I see him on the 11, I am good. My, pretty much, I'm going to have to call your Best Buy dealership, uh, Ian, to put yep. a new TV in my flat because I'm going to break my TV. I'm going to say it on the listen, show. I'm breaking he, my TV. He's almost as expensive as Ronaldo, my Best Buy guy. All right. And this, <laughs> this place is like a, an unbelievable studio right now that I've got set up here. All right. That brings me to my um, my yes, no, or why question. And I think you've already answered that. But Mike, I'm going to start with you. Do you start Cristiano Ronaldo against West Ham? Um, that's an all caps, hell no. And I guess you've already explained why, Nigel. So have I. No, you can't start him. Uh, real quickly, I want to ask you another question, Anthony. Um, so much about the the showboating that happened yesterday, Nigel. I guess this question is coming your way because I want to know what you would have done if you were out there on the pitch against Anthony, and I want to know what you would have done if you were playing in his team and he did the pirouette twice around on the ball. What is your thoughts on the showboating? That he it's showed? a family show. I can't use the words that I would use <laughs> in England. Yeah, you can. No, you can. <laughs> yes, if, yes, it, yes, if he yes. did it against me, I would have absolutely clattered the. T- I would have gone right through <laughs> and stood over him and looked and said, do it again, I dare you. That's just me being me. I'll tell you that now. Like, no. And then the funny thing is, it's crazy because obviously Manchester United have a lot of ex-players who are mm. pundits and stuff now. None of them are con- condemning him because at the end of the day, when they were playing, no, they, are. they never used to do it. No, Paul Scholes. No, they are. No, only Paul Scholes, yeah, because Paul Scholes, Scholes is probably one of the greatest midfielders that England has ever produced. Like Paul mm. Scholes is the one that no one talks about, but he is the greatest midfielder England have ever produced, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like you said, Roy Keane and them lot wouldn't have had that. They didn't have it from Ronaldo when Roy yeah, Keane did. had to no. get in. They never Bullshit. had it from Ronaldo. They did. Yeah, they did. No, they did. Yeah, they did. Roy Ronaldo was, was 17, 18 years old, 19 oh, years old. He's doing yes, over they the ball. They, 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 they that out, though. It. Roy Keane hammered yeah. him. Roy Keane hammered him. And then nope. look at Ronaldo after that when everything was just in the box, in the box for Van Nistelrooy, just putting crosses in the box. He tried to do all that stuff and they hammered him out of him. I'm not saying they that. Did. What I'm saying is they allowed the showboating as long as the final product was there. And I think the reason mm. why Anthony's getting criticized is because he passed to nobody at the end of it. It's okay, in my opinion, showboating. I don't want Anthony to change. I love the yeah. showboating. I'm okay with it, right? But the final product is where it's yeah. at. If you produce wait, a pass, wait or you make something across. enough. Wait till he comes across <laughs> an old school player, that old school mentality, when they go right through him. Let's see how, how flexible he's going to be then. Nigel, well, I, 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 I used to say, love playing against players like that for that reason yeah. in particular. I played against I just, some of the best in particular. And I will say this. I used to love it when they show boy because I used to say the same thing as you. Do it again and you know I'm going to come right through you. And then they <laughs> stop them from doing it again. They don't try those tricks after you go through them in the challenge. But this is a different game from what me and mm. you played. It's a totally different game. These guys are doing it for Instagram. And this kid's Brazilian. Let him play, man. Let Thank him enjoy you. himself. Thank you. So uh, that's you just hit on what I was going to say. You're asking a, a Brazilian not to be Brazilian. Right. It, it's, part, it's part of – he was doing it. That's part of the appeal. Eric Ten Hag has coached him. He was doing it at Ajax. That's his signature move. It's part yes, of the, the one, final, 100 million price tag. <laughs> the final. Ajax are laughing. Well, it's 100 million because of the YouTube clicks that that provides. Look, look, you knew it was coming. Something was going to come when he showed up with the There's bleach tips. He There's looked like difference. he was in a I'm boy sorry. band. He looked like uh, he was listen, a Brazilian boy band when he showed up. Michael, I fully agree with you. And I, I agree with that, that. Yes, he's Brazilian. It comes with the culture and stuff like that. But there's a level of understanding when to do it, when not to do it, and what comes with that. He has to have an end product, like Ian said. There's a difference when Neymar showboats. There's an end product behind it. Even if it's a simple pass, heel pass, whatever it is, it has an end product. You can do it, but you can't do it without an end product. And the more he does it, the influential old ex-players, and they keep saying he's a one-trick pony, he's just a clown, that's only going to continue to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> they, they called him a clown. I'm not putting words in people's mouths. He scored on his de- this is a man who scored on his debut. What, you want a cookie gonna, for that? Gonna, is he the only player to ever have done gonna, that? You're going to hammer... A kid who came I like, to, listen, to Manchester I like United and scored like his debut, him. and now he's a clown listen, because he did a pirouette. I think that's Mike, a bit harsh for me. Like you said, I like him. I will do it. But if he was in my team, I would say to him, I don't mind you yeah. doing it. Have an end yeah, product. Otherwise, you look yeah. like an idiot. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think you made a great point. As well. There's a time to do it. There's a time in the game to do it. There's also yeah. an opponent to do it. If you're going to showboat, you know, in many ways, it's probably not in a Europa League game against Sheriff of all places to do it. <laughs> I don't want any Brazilian player or any flair player from whatever country they're from to ever change. I think they should always have that showboating mentality, that confidence mentality. But it was just an unusual time when no one around you and then you put the ball out of play. That's why it was highlighted and that's why pretty much everyone's talking about it. So um, I'd be interested to hear what the viewers are 
out there think about Anthony Showboating as well. So drop a, a comment in there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we got more to come from us when we return. We're going to head over to La Liga. We'll talk about a Bundesliga and uh, yeah. Michael Hood's back, so we're going to talk a lot about, about Major League Soccer's conference finals. House of Champions will be right back after the short break. All right, if you're looking for a month free Paramount Plus action, P Plus have a one month free trial. Offer code UEFA2022, or should I say UEFA22. Scan the QR code on the screen or follow the link in the description to make sure you get one month of free Paramount Plus action. Enjoy the Champions League match day six. It's right around the corner, so make sure you get into it. All right, welcome back to House of Champions. We're going to get through a quick whip of Europe because Nigel has to go. His little one is sleeping, but he's going to be up in just a minute, so we've got about 15, <laughs> 20 minutes to go. Daddy no, Duty's call. Oh, I have to go because call. I'm getting abused by all the Arsenal fans who need a reality <laughs> check. We, we love the Arsenal fans getting after you as well. Uh, listen, I've got a bit of unfortunate news uh, we, as we turn our attention to Serie A here. Arsenal defender and on loan to a- AC Monza, Pablo Mari, was injured after being stabbed in Italy on Thursday. Crazy, crazy story. One person died in the incident and uh, four people were injured in the attack just outside Milan. Uh, Mari was not seriously hurt in the attack. He was taken to hospital. He underwent surgery on Friday to reconstruct uh, two injured muscles in his back, according to AC Monza. They put out a report. Uh, Monza also released an update on Mari's condition on Friday. They said that surgery has gone to plan. The surgery went well, and the hospital stay for two or three days is expected. After the discharge, the player will be able to begin his rehabilitation process. This type of muscle injury uh, usually requires about two months um, of rest before physical activities can resume. Terrible, terrible news that was breaking yesterday as it went through. Michael, I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. It seems to be happening more frequently around Europe, but to see, obviously, people uh, getting injured seriously when you're out for a quick shop, and, of course, one person, unfortunately, lost their life as well. We send our thoughts yeah. and prayers out to him and his family. So um, just desperately disappointing. Yeah, I, I, I just don't get it. And as former players, it's it, you, you feel for a player and his family – it's one thing when you're on the pitch, there's so much that goes into the mental stress, the physical stress and the pressure of being a footballer. But when your safety now comes in the question, when it's hard for you to go around just your, your neighborhood or your, your local city and not feel safe, that, that just, there's no place in football or the world for things like that. Nigel, any thoughts yeah, on this? A, I mean, terrible. It's a tough situation because like, like Michael just said, they're the family and your safety and everything, but also, um, I think I read something as well that he obviously said he witnessed someone dying there and that's very traumatic yeah. in itself, you know, and yeah. uh, being exposed to see through that, you don't know what kind of the long-term effects will be on an individual. And this is when you forget the footballing element, forget being a footballer, um, it's the human element. You know, this can happen to anyone and anybody and that's the thing we have to understand. Yes, these guys are footballers. They follow their dream. They're in the public domain in the, in the sense of being professional football players, but let's not ever take away and lose that human element because they they hurt like how we hurt and they go through everyday situations and things like how everyone else does. Yeah, we certainly wish him a speedy recovery, but also thoughts and prayers to everyone who was involved in this unfortunate incident just outside Milan yesterday. Let's turn it back to a bit of a more positive as we take a quick spin around Europe. Uh, big game to look forward to in La Liga, Valencia against Barcelona on Saturday. I mean, something excites me very much so when I watch Gattuso on the sidelines. He's just absolutely brilliant. I love him, love his energy. But against Barcelona, um, after they got humiliated and knocked out of the Champions League, there's no chance, uh, Mike, at all of um, them getting a result against Barca, or am I stupid? Uh, no, no, no. I think you're. You, I think you drank two cups of coffee, and you're very smart for saying that. <laughs> because Barcelona are going to be the wounded animal. They're going to be the wounded animal. They're going to be pissed off. There's going to be. There's a lot of pressure. I wouldn't be surprised if chairs were thrown, tables were flipped, and Robert Lewandowski will be on his revenge mission. Especially given that they were knocked out of the hands of his former employees, employers, excuse me, Bayern yeah. Munich. With Valencia, though, since Edison Cavani has come into the team, Valencia is a team that has revamped their formation, gone from a 4-4-2 that we've seen in the past to a 4-3-3. Cavani, if Barcelona are misfiring, Cavani does have the extra quality to get a shock result, maybe a shock draw. But I think Barcelona have too much firepower. One thing of note, could this be the end of when we see Gavi and Pedri in the midfield together with Busquets? Because Mm -hmm. I think those two, alongside Busquets, it ain't working. You need mm-hmm. to have Frankie De Jong, you need to have Frank Kessie, something else, and add dimension to this Barcelona team to be fully firing again. Nigel? I would gladly disagree with Mike. Let's be real. Oh, come on. The La Liga title was literally just between Barcelona and Real Madrid. 
this should be a comfortable win for Barcelona. Yes, they're embarrassed of their tra- Champions League situation, but so should all the Spanish teams, except for the mighty Real Madrid. And you know what, Mike? <clears throat> Let me clear my throat for this one. Oh, boy. I love it that Real Madrid went through because of that idiot agent who made his comment about Vinicius Jr. dancing mm. like a monkey. Yeah. So let Vinicius yeah. dance all the way through to the next round and every other Spanish team, embarrassingly, doesn't qualify. And let's mm. be real, the, the, the title is going to be between Real Madrid and Barcelona because there's no other team in Spain right now that compete with those two. Yeah, well said, Nigel. No doubt about it. Just real quickly on Valencia, no wins in the last three, one win in the last five, ninth in La Liga. Listen, I, I know they're tough to beat and I know they're tough to score goals against, but we should be expecting a little bit more from Gattuso as far as I'm concerned. And as you mentioned there, Mike, they have some experience. They have some talent in that squad. They can score goals against any team. They need some luck and they need some quality in front of goal to have any chance against this Barca, who is a wounded animal right now. I'm going to ask you a quick question. Yes, no, why? Barcelona now dropping down to Europa League. Should teams drop down from the Champions League to Europa League? I mean, I'm fed up with this. You're seeing a team drop, get knocked out, humiliated in the Champions League and they get a second chance at Europa League. Should that happen, Nigel? I think with the system, how it works, yeah, I, I, I like it. I really you do. Like I it? think that, yeah, mm. because there's some big historic clubs in there where it also makes it more interesting for the clubs who make it into the last 16. Because you look at the Europa mm. League as well now, you look at the clubs that's going to be in there, we talk about <coughs> Arsenal, okay, and then and you got Barcelona, <laughs> you got a few other clubs. So I, I think so. It's a good, it's a good system. I like it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, especially as a supporter of a club who, well, that's all we have to hang our hat, hat on of Manchester United, the Europa League, in the last couple of years. But I think it gives credibility and validity to the competition, to the competition. when you have some of these bigger name teams coming from the Champions League. And mind you, a lot of times when these teams come down from the Champions League to the Europa League, they oftentimes don't win. So it's yep. not a give me. They, you're actually, you have a bigger target on your back and it ups the level. It ups kind of the requirement of these other teams. Now they have something even greater to play for to see if they can take one of the scalps of the bigger names in Europe. Yeah. Re- and also, ahead, yeah, just, just imagine this. Imagine a Barcelona-Manchester United final. Mm, mm, mm. Imagine that. It could happen, but that's what I'm saying. It makes the competition so good when you can still get two historic clubs playing for a final, and then the winner gets automatically. Do you know, into the do you know who was in the final last year of Europa League? Yes, I know who was in the final last year. <laughs> Any Champions League dropouts in the final last year? Hmm. No, but that's that's good though. But you still get was to see a, them. Compete. Was it a good final last year? Very it was a good final. It wasn't a great final. I, I respect both of you. No, it was a good final. I respect both of you and, and I respect both of your opinion. I understand absolutely what you're saying here. But for me, I think it's it, it's embarrassing a little bit from UEFA that they get a second ch- opportunity, these big clubs, these big uh, franchises, these big uh, names. And the reason why we do it is because it's financially, right? And obviously for eyeballs as well, because you guys said it. You want to watch the best teams compete in finals and the later stages of European competition. You don't want to necessarily see a Rangers versus Frankfurt at a Europa League final. I do. I'm, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit more of a lover of the, the, the minnows of European football who are getting an opportunity to have worked and played so many games. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt, if I'm not mistaken, went through qualification in Europa League to get all the way to the final. They played like 15, 16 games. That's remarkable. So then to see a Champions League team who was humiliated when one fucking game, excuse my language, and then go all the way through to uh, the, the Europa League, it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't get it at all. I don't make, agree no, with it. Ian, I think it's bullshit. Ian, you make a fantastic point. But you, like you said, and we've had this discussion before, we know now football has become very corporate. And there's a reason why UEFA is doing it. And it's to appease the big boys. And it's the money. You're going to get more attention from if a Barcelona falls out to play an Arsenal or Man U in the final of your second tier competition than you would if it was a Menos team that came up. I think it's a great story, and I agree with you. I like it. You have to earn it. I do agree with you, but it's the world that we're living in right now. There's not much we can do about that. All right, let's move on to the Bundesliga real quickly before we let Nigel Rio Coker go and me and Michael get stuck into Major League Soccer before we close out the show. Uh, Leipzig against Leverkusen on Saturday, Frankfurt against Borussia Dortmund on Saturday. Both, I mean, all four teams involved in European action. So it's a quick turnaround there. Leipzig, tough game for them against Xavi Alonso's side. Leipzig played at home on Tuesday in that massive win against Real Madrid. Mike, I hope you caught that game. It was sensational yep. to see that type of performance. Um, they have an extra day rest. Leverkusen played on Wednesday. I'm starting to see Leipzig play well now. You're starting 
starting to see Leipzig be dynamic, be dangerous under Marco Rosa. He's implementing his ideas. Didn't think it was a good fit from Rosa to go to Leipzig, but now I'm seeing him getting the best of these players. Nkunku, sensational. Jobjalai, sensational. You're starting to see Timo Werner score goals now, which we haven't seen for about two years since he was last at Leipzig. Uh, Leverkusen, for me, sitting in 15th place in the table right now. Desperately disappointing situation for them to be in. I think it's embarrassing. But I will say this, though, Mike, real quickly. I'll let you have a comment on this game. Moussa Diaby under Xavi Alonso. My word. It's a different player. (laughs) Oh, man. Let the kid play. Sometimes managers overcomplicate it. Sometimes it's more about the 3-4-3, This guy is an out-and-out winger. He's brilliant 1v1. Last season, one of the big reasons why they got to the Champions League was his uptick in form in the second part of the season. Patrick Schick goes out injured. Musa Diaby becomes the main man. Build the team around this guy. He is a guy who should be knocking and will be knocking at a World Cup roster spot. If he isn't, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to show up at Clairefontaine and ask for answers that there better be answers for because this guy is in fuego and back to life with, gosh, when I think of Leipzig, Christian Cuckoo, I'm going to say something and keep this receipt. Right now, I think Christian Cuckoo is the best player in the German Bundesliga. He's the best player in the German Bundesliga because of his importance to his team. He makes them relevant. And because of how he's playing in the Champions League as well as the Bundesliga, I think this guy has the pedigree to become the player of the year in this league if he keeps up where he's at. He is the star man. He is a guy who is playing in his favorite position, an attacking midfielder, has the freedom to express himself. And you're getting the best out of everyone else when he can make the final pass now. Not to score the goal. He's becoming a complete attacker, and I love watching this guy thrive. Mm-hmm. Mike, do you think it's fascinating that uh, Nkuku's form has just gone so much better from since he signed his new contract? Because let's be real, I think he, that's he was the fantastic last year, Nigel. Yeah, yeah. breakout. Right, he was good last year. year, yes, but obviously we knew what was at stake. But even so, we've seen when players sign a new contract, they go off a different end. Do you think him signing that contract's made it better? I think it it has in the capacity of it gives clarity into okay I choose to stay here rather than go make a big move elsewhere now this is my team I'm the main man things revolve around me and at the start of the season there was a bit of calamity and there's a bit of uncertainty because Timo Werner was the main man before and Cuckoo took the mantle and now that they've sorted that out now that Werner is playing as a winger not as a central attacker which we've seen does not yield goals when he does that for yep. national team or for Chelsea. Hope he never is seen in London again, except for a Champions League final potentially, because I don't think they'll want him back in London. But it gives more clarity to Timo Werner to do what he does best, which is run, make runs in, and you need someone who can supply the final pass. But Christian Nkuku, this is a guy playing at the peak. Well, right now it looks like the peak. I think the sky's the limit for this young guy. Yeah, let me just throw a few stats at you here, Nigel, just to show you how good he was last season. He scored 35 I never said he wasn't good, Ian. No, 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 no. You just said he's, <laughs> you know, he's been better since he signed his contract. But one of the mm-hmm. reasons they signed that contract is because he was about to be a free agent. So he signed that extension to his contract with complete knowledge that Leipzig are going to sell this kid because yeah. you're going to get an offer coming in. And one of the reasons why are these stats? 35 goals, 20 assists last season. Mm. He's playing for Leipzig. Incredible numbers. And already this season, oh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, he's got 12 goals this campaign already. I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. Hold on yeah. one second. Mike, I agree with you. He is absolutely phenomenal. But I think he's got some competition this year as far as best player goes because Leroy Zani, for me, even though he's injured at yeah. the moment, oh. he's been terrific. Jude Bellingham is probably going to be the most expensive departure from the Bundesliga in history. So I think he's got mm. some competition for being the best player. Go ahead, Nigel. Just before I drop the mic and we turn the page, I like Nkuku, but <laughs> Ian read out all these stats. Oh, let's boy. look at Timo Werner's stats before he left and went to Chelsea, and let's compare the Chelsea stats, okay? There's no guarantee, but let's compare the stats. It's very similar, right, for Timo Werner before he left and went to Chelsea. I dropped no. the mic there. No, 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 Mm-mm. no. Mm-mm. You, you're talking about Timo Werner's stats in Chelsea compared no, to what Timo he was at Leipzig? No, when he was at Leipzig. Leipzig before he yeah, no, Leipzig no, no, before, no. no. Prolific goal scorer, mate. He was 20-plus goals that season. He's not going to score 20 this year. I'm talking about Timo Werner. That's my point. You uh, just talked about Nkuku's stats in the Bundesliga right now, right? Yeah. Timo Werner got 20-plus goals in Leipzig before he went to Chelsea. Yep. yep. And then what happened when he got to Chelsea? Flatline. Okay, there you go. Yeah. All right. I'm, I dropped the mic on there. Do you think that could happen to Nkunku? Ooh, 
that's a, ooh. There's no guarantee he's going to get goals. There's no guarantee. He goes to a struggling team, doesn't go to the right team. I, I tell no, you I what. think he's a great player, but still, I, the Premier League is a different kettle of fish. I tell oh. you what, that will be answered in Qatar when he when he when he plays Good for point. France. That will be answered in Qatar. Let's go get in the team first, Mike. Oh, that I tell you what, Claire Fontaine. <laughs> You, me, and Nigel, you know what? CBS Sports, you're going to put us on the plane. We're going to go to Claire Fontaine and have a word with the staff if this kid's out on the plane. It's not the budget, Mike. <laughs> we, got, we got to let Nigel go because uh, Daddy Duty's call. Uh, Nigel, we appreciate you, mate. We're going to get stuck into the MLS Conference Finals, but real quickly, Nigel, you can get out of here because we know you're busy. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt against Borussia Dortmund to look forward to, Mike, as well. And get this one here. I'm going for an Eintracht Frankfurt win in this game. Mm. Uh, Frankfurt have won their last four all competitions, uh, in all competitions. Yep. They're one point above Borussia Dortmund. I think the way they've got Kamara, Lindstrom, Mwane, Gutze, all playing well um, is really impressive. But I, I'm really impressed with the defense. They, I know they go to the three-back line here and it's been mm. in a notorious through history of Frankfurt, but I just love the way that Indica and Jakic are playing together along that Eintracht Frankfurt backline. Borussia Dortmund only lost one of the last seven games, however. They scored only 18 goals from 11 games. Not the same Borussia Dortmund, although it's nice to see Gio back here. What are you seeing? Quick prediction on that one, Frankfurt Dortmund. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the inconsistency of Dortmund, the toll that it takes because of the lack of depth that Dortmund's had because of injuries this yep. season, it takes a toll on you when you have to go up and play massive Bundesliga games. We've seen them falter a bit. Frankfurt had a, a woeful start to the season because of just trying to figure themselves out. Or do we play a back four? Do we play our traditional back three that's gotten us European success? They figured it out, getting back to what works for them. The, the guy who I, I think is who makes them tick, Kamada. Japanese yeah. international. This guy was a baller. Alongside Kostic, I thought he was their co-player this season in the Europa League championship run-in. I think if he has a good game, they'll win this game. Yeah, we got a great uh, comment coming in from Matt Osman about uh, being with me. The Champions League losers should never drop down to the participation trophy right there. Thanks, Matt, for that one right there. <laughs> Darren Lee thinks uh, he we should let the kid play. Talking about Anthony, some of the comments have been brilliant today. Thank you to everybody out there. Rafa, he's jumped in as well and said that they already have showed their backing for Ten Hag. Anthony was his guy and he cost an absolute fortune. Thank you, Rafa, for your comment as well. Thanks to everybody out there who's watching the show right now. We appreciate you tuning in to House of Champions. We obviously love talking about the top five Europe European leagues. We obviously love previewing the weekend's action. Um, but for me and Mike, this is a pretty special game coming up this weekend uh, domestically. We're both based in the US and um, we follow our clubs personally. Mike has been doing a fantastic job at Austin FC, who have done an unbelievable job to get to the conference final right now. They play LAFC on Sunday's later kickoff, or earlier kickoff, should I say, and Philadelphia take on my NYCFC in the later kickoff on Sunday evening. Two cracking games, Mike, to look forward to. Listen, no matter which way this goes, uh, for the neutral fan of Major League Soccer and for all of you out there who don't follow Major League Soccer, you might want to get into it because the four who are left in the league right now have done a great job, play some of the best football. And I think no matter which two get to the final, it's going to be a fun final. Who you got, Mike, here going into the final? Oh, man. I'm not only drinking the Verde juice uh, for work, but I'm drinking it for life. I think Austin FC, given their track record against LAFC, <laughs> they are the only team that could get LAFC's number. They beat them twice. They, they have a shock really shocked at the time because LAFC was steamrolling everyone earlier in the season. I believe it was in May. I know because yeah. I was on my honeymoon and came back to a massive result. <laughs> Sebastian Driussi, Diego Fagundes, they are the LAFC killers. Those two, they almost have this telepathic connection and you saw the Q2 stadium in that 4-1 demolition derby. And mm -hmm. that was when they really announced themselves as, Hey, you know what? We're not afraid of this team. LAFC, they are the giants right now. Yep. Supporter shield winners, I mean, they have the stars, Gareth Bale, Chiellini, but it is Chicho Arango that has mm -hmm. been the main man for them, the Colombian international. Yes, I said that, Colombian international who plays in major league soccer. This guy is a complete striker, can score goal poaching goals, can get out the end of balls, make smart runs. He's a handful. And Bowanga coming in from, was it San Etienne? JJ would be mm -hmm. proud that I remember that. He's now yep. coming to life, scoring massive goals for them. It is going to be a blockbuster matchup. Cannot wait to watch it. Who you got in the other game, Philadelphia against New York? Oof. Uh, you know, this is a tricky one. I actually had one of my good buddies, uh, Corey Williams, who's up in Boston. We were just talking about this. Shout out to mm -hmm. him. Uh, he's my soccer guru and keeps me balanced when Nigel and I get into a big argument on this show. But uh, we were talking about it is this is so tricky if you're Philadelphia Union. There's such the emotional, we got to get payback because of last year, they thought they had NYCFC before the COVID outbreak in the team. And they thought, well, maybe we could have beaten them. But I just think NYCFC, they are scary good. 
They lost their leading goal scorer in Tate Casianos to La Liga and their coach. The fact that they're here, there's something about this team, experience and experience in playing in tough games. You got to give them the slider edge. Although Philadelphia, they're very good at home. But as I say that, I'm very keen to see your perspective in that matchup because I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah, before I get into my opinion on it, and it will be absolutely one-sided, there's no doubt about it, I want to know your thoughts on uh, Sebastian Druisi. Um, Obviously, we've seen him lead the way, uh, scoring charts and and what he does. For me, he looks like an absolute superstar. I haven't got to watch in Austin too much Mm. this season. I've followed pretty closely because I'm a big fan of Claudio Reyna and uh, I'm a fan of what Austin FC fans are doing um, on and off the pitch around there. So I followed the results and I followed, obviously, the stats and to me, he's someone that's maybe not spoken about enough, Druisi, for what he does on the pitch. This guy is the best player in the league, the best player in Major League Soccer. And when you look at the amount of goals he scored, yes, there's the MVP conversation. And it's it's things like this that make me want to amend the MVP ruling. I, I don't think it yeah. should end at the regular season. I think the complete body of work, because this year you have a race between he and Hani Mukhtar. And the mm-hmm. fact that this is even a conversation, I, I think that's laughable because Hani Mukhtar for the first half of the season was invincible. And the second half of the season, yes, he scored goals and scored goals in a plum. But look at the difference that Austin FC went from being one of the bottom feeders a year yeah. ago to playing in a Western Conference championship behind mm-hmm. the goals and the stardom of one man. He's a leader on the field. He works on both sides of the ball, which is something you don't see a lot of times from designated player. He can be a second striker when he needs to be. He can be attacking midfielder, box-to-box midfielder, deep-lying playmaker. This guy has it all, can create for himself and also set up teammates. He is the star of the league, and I think he is one of the new faces of Major League Soccer. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And especially when you score goals and, and you look the way that he does. I mean, he just looks so composed out there on the pitch. He's not my favorite player at Austin, unfortunately, uh, to tell you that, Mike. <laughs> uh, Alexander Ring, one yes, of my good friends, is the ringleader, I used to call him when he was at NYCFC. Um, he's been a big pickup for you guys as well. I actually have you upsetting LAFC, believe it or not. I think LAFC are favorites going into this game. And I always feel like when you're at home, the pressure's a little bit more on your shoulders to perform. And I, I recognize the job that Steve Chirolando has done has been sensational. It's been absolutely fabulous. But Austin FC are the underdogs going into this game with zero pressure. Nobody expected them to be there. So nobody's expecting them to make it to the final. I think LAFC have a, a little bit of a weakness. And I'm going to say this backline weakness. I'm going to just throw it out there right now. Austin could get a couple of goals. It's just about how many goals that Austin concede. If they concede two or three, you're going to lose that game. If you, I think Austin can score two against LAFC. So if they score two and uh, clearly don't score, uh, don't concede as uh, as much, you're going to go on to the final. So I've got Austin for the upset on that one there. Uh, Philadelphia, in my opinion, up there with the best in Major League Soccer this year. Just a fantastic team to watch. Big fan of Jim Curtin. He's been brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, huge fan of the job that he's doing. And I have banter with the Philadelphia Union fans, but I've got tremendous respect for what they do down there and the football that they play at home. They're a difficult team to beat. New York are the underdog going into this game, and I think they like it. Everybody mm-hmm. has expected New York to fail this year, losing your coach, losing your top striker. Um, and people forget this. When um, NYCFC played against Philadelphia last year in the playoffs, even though it was the COVID outbreak, NYCFC were at five of their top players. Injured mm-hmm. players, in-hospital players. We were still without five or six of players. So I say we because, yes, I am an NYCFC fan, and I don't care about saying that either. I think <laughs> this is going to be a close game. Philly are the favorites going into it, but I'm hoping for an upset, so I'm not really going to give a prediction there. No matter which way, I hope it's me and you in the final, because if that yes. takes place, we'll get to see each other in person at the final. It'll be Come an absolute banger. It'll be fantastic. Look forward to it. I haven't been to Austin yeah. for a long time. Uh, no matter which way it goes, it's going to be cracking. So thanks for that, Mike. It's really awesome to talk to Major League Soccer on the show as well. Yeah. We'll try to do it more and more, and we'll certainly do a bit of a build-up or maybe talk about it post, um, maybe on Monday or something like that as we preview some of the Champions League actions as well. We can get into it. Uh, but great show today. Great to have you on House of Champions as well, man. We appreciate you. Um, any game in particular this weekend outside Manchester United, West Ham and Austin at LAFC that you're focusing on around Europe? Yeah, I, I look just to the other side of Manchester. I try to avert my eyes often to that other side, the blue side. Uh, but Man City, Leicester, <laughs> Leicester, they, they've changed. They seem yep. a, a group more united. And City, there's a couple question marks. Erlen Holland, the injury, uh, how long is it? How is that going to impact the identity of the team? Uh, it could be a statement sort of performance from City or Leicester, depending on how the result goes. Big test for the citizens. 
Yeah, big result for Leicester last week against Wolves as well. That was a performance and a half, mm-hmm. that one right there. Thanks to everybody out there for, for watching and your comments and joining in the show. We continue to grow the show for you, but please make sure that you continue to listen to House of Champions. Take a minute to also leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're also, unfortunately, for Nigel Real Cooker, available on video. <laughs> I know he's not here. I'm still going to make fun of him. So subscribe to us on YouTube. Visit YouTube.com. You'll find us. We're always going to be there. We'll see you all. Uh, post weekend's action on Sunday we'll be back with a live show so make sure you tune in and we'll also be back on Monday with Fabrizio Romano and we'll also have a look ahead to next week's crazy match day 6 in the Champions League Michael Hood thank you so much man I'll see you on Sunday thanks for having me